just an update. Uh, they uh, started the, um, the camp, uh, the, the medical camp, uh, this last week on Friday, is that right? Or Thursday? On Friday. And uh, had a little bit lighter turnout than they were expecting for the first day. And they're expecting that hopefully the next day there'd be more, but they're kind of jump-starting the program after a few years during the pandemic of not being able to go over and, and um, administer in that way. And so we need to continue to pray for Charles and his team as they minister in Uganda, and, and they're uh, providing medical need for a community that oftentimes doesn't, uh, or usually does not get medical aid at all. And so they go months, years with uh, ailments or their entire life without ever seeing a doctor. And so... Uh, it's a unique ministry and a unique time to share the gospel. So continue to pray for the team that's, that's also there that's sharing the gospel with people that have come for medical aid. And as they have their physical needs met, our prayer is that they would also have their spiritual needs met and come to Jesus Christ. And so let's go to our God in prayer. Let's give um, some prayer for the team that's in, U- in Uganda. Uh, and then let's turn to his word. Our Father in heaven, uh, we, we do thank you. We, we praise you as the psalm directed us. We praise you for rain that's watered our earth. We praise you for the people that you've put around us. We praise you for a church body of people that we love and love us and that you have loved by sending your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for the work that you're doing all around the world and and allowing us to be a part of that great commission of taking the gospel to the othermost parts of the earth. Uh, Lord, we do want to pray for Charles during this time and uh, the team that he's working with with Caring Hands. Uh, we pray that this would be a, a, an amazing time of ministering to people who are truly in need in ways that, that many of us just can't imagine. We, we pray that more than just the physical needs which are being met, that also people would hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that uh, the good news of what your son did on the cross, that it would go to tribes and to peoples that maybe never have even heard the gospel before. Um, might they hear it because they heard that someone was providing help? and their, their needs. Father, we, we pray for this service today as we continue in, in studying your word and worshiping you in the word. Um, there's a lot of distractions around us. I, I know, Lord, that my, my mind is distracted by several things right now myself. I, I, I ask that you would help us to focus on your word, focus on the teaching of your word, and that you would be honored in the preaching of your word. Help us to discover the truths that are here. I, I pray that we would find joy and in the um, amazing wonder of what your spirit has inspired in a, a book like the book of Ruth. Would you please guide our time, direct our hearts, direct our minds to you, and I pray that you be the one who's glorified in our lives through this. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask this. Amen. You know, I, um, I love Father's Day. I hope a couple Sundays ago you all had a great, a great Father's Day together. Uh, my kids, my wife always spoil me and uh, whether we go out to dinner or some pictures or something, it's just um, it's always uh, a special treat, and I, I know they they care greatly for me. Um, there's one Father's Day that that's p- particularly comes to my mind though. Several years back, where my my uh, 10-year-old, 12-year-old son prepared a, a gift for dad, and it's it's a cherished memory for me, not because I was the focus of it. Uh, and it's a shared memory, not because of all the work that went into it and, and, and all that it involved, but, but it's a cherished memory, memory for me because it, it was a proud moment as a dad where I watched my son demonstrate loyal love for someone else in a way that, that he went to an extreme. Um, 
we uh, had a, a um, we enjoyed going to the, the Texas Rangers games when we were living in, in Dallas, Fort Worth area. It was just a fun activity. We'd get some discounted tickets and go down to the stadium and watch a good game. Hopefully they'd beat the Chicago Cubs or something like that. Um, and so it was always a fun activity. But Father's Day, Michael had, had planned everything. And, and out of his love and just the joy of, of giving, um, he had prearranged the entire day, this young 11, 12-year-old boy. And I was told, if I remember the story correctly, I, I know I, I'm told I tend to sometimes embellish things in my own head. Um, the <laughs> um, I just remember being told, you, you need to make sure that you're not scheduled to work this day. Uh, Michael has something planned, and I can't tell you what's coming, but you just need to be available, and you need to have the car. Does that sound right? Okay. And so, um, so the day came, and, and uh, I, I took Michael to the location that I was, that I was given, and we, we arrived at the ballpark. And, and, and Michael had arranged absolutely everything. He had parking paid for ahead of time. He had the food purchased for when we got into the stadium. He had tickets purchased. He had gone online, actually, as a little 11, 12-year-old boy, and, and he found the seats that he wanted, and we were directly in the two seats that were directly above home base. He had planned everything to the T. And, you know, it, it, wasn't that, um, it wasn't that I loved it so much because we enjoyed Rangers games, because uh, we did. It, it wasn't that I enjoyed it so much because they were great hot dogs, and they were. It wasn't that he had planned everything um, and, and gone through all the work and, and paid for everything out of the money that he had saved just to, to, uh, to express his love. It was, it was that, but what gave me such joy was that my son had done this in a way because he was expressing his love for another person in a way that was sacrificial and giving of himself. It, um, in our study of the book of Ruth today, we're, we're going to encounter... Uh, the first of many instances of the word chesed. Uh, this word is going to appear throughout the book of Ruth, and it's, it's a Hebrew word that, uh, that means loyal love. And uh, that story of Michael brings great joy to me because there was a time in my life and as a father where I, I watched my, one of my children, as they often do, express, express their chesed for someone else uh, in, in a particular and a profound way. You know, I believe that the word chesed is worthy for you to memorize and, and meditate upon. And, and so we're going to learn that word. I'm going to quiz you on it. We went through the book of Ruth a few years back, and, and you, hopefully you remember it from then. But for those of you that weren't here then, we're going to learn it together. So if you would, let's just start out. If you would say, uh, we're going to learn some Hebrew. We're going to learn chesed together. So everybody together, ready? Chesed. All right, now you've got to get a little bit of spit in there. It's, uh, it's not like hockey. You know, it's an H on the front of it. But but this is a this is a hey not a hey a hey you know back in the throat you should be kind of you know like you're ready to you know well we'll, we'll be gentle here um, you know so you got to really feel it in your throat okay so let's do that one more time it's chesed ready chesed okay very good very good chesed is loyal love uh, you'll find it sometimes translated as loving kindness there's a psalm that that talks about God's chesed. And over and over and over again through the psalm, it talks about how his loving kindness, his chesed, endures forever. Um, in the New Testament, uh, you'll meet its counterpart, the Greek word agape. Uh, but in the Old Testament, it emphasizes faithfulness. The word chesed emphasizes loyalty. Uh, allow me to provide you with an extended definition. 
Chesed is the unconditional giving of oneself for another without reservation or the thought of getting something in return. As we're coming to the book of Ruth, we, um, last week we just introduced ourselves to this beautiful story. We, um, we oftentimes refer to it as a love story, but it's a love story in a way that we, we don't expect. And, and God brings it around, it around full circle by the end and shows us what an amazing love story this, this is, but in ways that are more profound than most of us even realize. Last week we were introduced to the main character, a man named Elimelech. Uh, Eli Melech means my God is king. And he had a wife. Her name was Naomi, which means my pleasant one. So my God is king, married my pleasant one. And they had dreams, they had hopes for life and family like anybody else did. But we saw that God's providence was at work in the midst of the calamities of this life. And, and those calamities came very quickly on this young family. Uh, immediately we're told that in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, uh, there was no bread. There was a famine. And, and so from, from that marriage came two children that seemed to have been sick based on their names, which were weakling and sickly, Malon and Kilion. And, and these, this family... Uh, this man, Elimelech, did what most of us would have done. He, he took his family to a place where they would find food. Just 50 miles across the river, across the Jordan, there was food in the fields of Moab. And so he took his family to the nation of Moab where they found refuge and found food. And, and we're told that they went to sojourn there. That means they, they went there for a temporary, a temporary time. But that's, that temporary visit to Moab turned into 10 years. And we find in verse 3 that our main character actually isn't our main character because he's, he's dead after two verses. Elimelech dies and leaves Naomi in a time of not only, a time of not only um, incredible calamity in this life, but also uh, in the midst of personal tragedy. And, and his death uh, turns into many years in which he and which, which she, her sons and her two daughters-in-law uh, probably lived together in the land of Moab. And then we're told that her sons died. And so this story, we find, has two questions. The first question is, is God going to provide for his people Israel? There's no bread in the house of bread. Will the God who made a covenant with his people take care of them? And then the second question is this. Will God take care of this poor widow woman who has lost everything, who is absolutely destitute and living in a foreign land as a foreigner? Well, the first answer, the first question is answered by verse 6, because not only do we see that God's providence is at work in the midst of personal tragedy, but also God's providence is at work as he visits and provides for his people. And so those two problems are presented, and one of them is answered in verse 6 before we get out of the introduction to our book. And so that leaves the last question, will God provide for Naomi? Will the God of Israel provide for a woman who is living in a foreign land? And that brings us to verse 7 where we, we've learned in verse 6 that, that, there was, that, that there was bread, once again, in the house of bread. Naomi hears that there was bread in Israel, there was food in Israel, and so she returns. Let's look at verses 7 through, seven through uh, 10. It says, So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go! Return each of you to her mother's house, 
May Yahweh deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Yahweh grants you to find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Naomi has heard that Yahweh, the God of Israel, has provided for his people, and he's given bread to the Israelites. And so what we find here as we, as we continue through our story is that Naomi, what she does, even though she's in the midst of bitter circumstances, when she hears what God is doing in Israel, she responds in faith and she, she, returns, she returns home. And, and as we go through this passage, what, what you're going to see is there's going to be four speeches that are going to be given. We're going to find this first chapter of, of, um, of the book of Ruth is going to be split up into four speeches. And, and the first one is here, found here in the words of Naomi. And in this first speech, she makes two prayers. First, she says she prays to Yahweh to, um, to deal kindly with Ruth and Orpah. Now, I want you to notice that the word that's used there is the first time we see the word chesed. She prays for, for her daughters-in-law. And she says, may God give you chesed just as you have given chesed to me. And, and here's her point. Uh, she's... She comes to her daughters-in-law and says, look, you have, you have dealt incredibly kindly with me. Here's two women that, that lost their husbands, and, and they came to, to Naomi, and they took care of her. They stayed with her. Um, she hints that they, you've shown kindness to the dead as well. And, and what she might be hinting at is that, that they, um, they were showing kindness to their husbands by staying with Naomi. Because we know that there was a law in the land that was called a, they were, it was called a Leverite message. Uh, we were talking the other day, and we had, is it the same thing as a Levite and a Leverite, and it's actually two completely different words. Uh, the Levite was a tribe of Israel, but a Leverite marriage, it, it's, it's actually Latin, not Hebrew, so it does not even relate it at all. But the Leverite marriage basically means marrying your brother-in-law. A- and in ancient times, uh, God provided for the people, and he would provide for widows, in that when a, a, a man died and a woman was left destitute, it was the obligation of the brother-in-law to marry her and provide for her. And then, as a way of keeping, some of you guys are going, oh no, no, please no. <laughs> um, as a way of keeping inheritance within the family, the first from that marriage would actually be not the son of the brother-in-law, but would be the son of the man who had died. And so it would keep the inheritance, and all of his land would be passed down to that son in, 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 his, um, in, in the, uh, the, the dead man's name. And so, by, by staying with Naomi, they were showing kindness and showing loyal love even to their husbands who had died. But the question is, is how, how are they going to have a marriage like this if there's no brother-in-law to marry them? And so Naomi remarks to them that, that they've shown incredible kindness, and her prayer for them is that God would show the same kind of chesed to them. Now, there's a beautiful thing throughout the book of Ruth. We're going to see several prayer requests like this. Uh, this is the, these are the first two of several times where a person in the book of, of, uh, of Ruth reaches out and, and says, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord do this. May the Lord shine. There's several instances where a person just, it's a simple, quick prayer blessing for another individual. And what we're going to find is every single time one of those prayers is offered, by the end of the book of Ruth, that is going to be answered. But that prayer is going to be answered in a way that the person praying it has no idea and no expectation of how it's going to come about. Well, this is the first of those, and, and Naomi prays for chesed, 
for her daughter. But she also prays that the Lord would give to them, that the Lord would give to them so that they might find rest. And, and the beautiful thing that we find in the book of Ruth is that God is, is, is the giver. Naomi's in a situation in her life where she's bitter, but even in the midst of that bitterness, she still has this love, this chesed for her daughters, and she shows chesed for them by, by seeking a situation in which they would be provided for, that God would give to them what they need. Now, uh, consider what that means, though. What does it mean for Naomi to say, I, I'm going back to Judah, and, and my daughters, I want you to stay here. I want you to go back to your mothers where you'll find comfort and, and where hopefully you'll find husbands. What does that mean for Naomi? It, it means she's absolutely alone. She, she's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And now she's putting herself in a situation because of her love, her chesed for her daughters-in-law, she's sending them back and putting herself, sacrificing herself and putting herself in a place where she's going to go back to the land of Judah and she's going to be absolutely alone with no way of providing for herself. She's committing herself to total poverty. But then the daughters-in-law, they insist that they're going to be faithful to their mother-in-law. We're going to stay with you. Not only is Hesed found in the providence of a God who gives, but we also see that Hesed may be given in the midst of bitter circumstances. Verse 11 continues on and says, But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If, if I should say I have hope, even I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. This is the second speech in our passage. It's again from Naomi. Uh, the women have expressed their intention to stay with Naomi. And so what she does, in order to encourage them to find a life that, that they will succeed in, to find a life where they'll have children and joy and a family, she expresses to them in a very formal statement that, that essentially relinquishes them from any obligation that they have to her. Uh, she makes several arguments. She makes them in succession, and she does it in a way that, that all the legal and moral bonds that they have to her have been released, and, and they can now leave her, and she can go back to Judah. She first says, I, I have no more sons. There, there's only two. There, there's no sons to take their place. Uh, she points out, I, I'm not going to have any more sons. I, I'm an older woman. And uh, even if I did have more sons, uh, would you wait for them? Are, are you going to wait 20 years for these boys to grow up so that they can marry you and hopefully give you children then? And, and so Naomi points out, she says, look, my, my life is bitter. I, I have a bitter life because Yahweh's hand, the Lord's hand has been against me. In, in essence, she's saying, look, even if I had sons, even if I had sons that you would want to marry, you need to realize that everyone in my life dies. I've lost everything. And God has something against me. God is judging me, and he, he, he's been against me. And so 
not only do I not have children, I won't have children, but, but you need to leave me because I have a bitter life and I don't want that for you. Go home to your families. And, and so here lies the problem once again. The question is, is God going to provide for this poor widow woman who, who's missing maybe the point a little bit? Quite a bit. And there's a question of whether is God just or not? And Naomi's wrestling with this. She's wrestling with this life that she's been given. She's the pleasant one who has experienced bitterness and trials and tragedy. And she's trying to figure out how all this plays into God's plan. And so is God just? Now the narrator, I think, agrees with Naomi in that her life has become bitter. She makes an observation, doesn't she? My life's bitter. Is that, is that the reality? Has Ruth showed us that already? And yeah, it has. I mean, she's right about that. She, she looks at her life, she looks at the tragedies, and, and what used to be a life filled with dreams has become bitter and, and become full of tragedy and, and trials. But the problem is, is that Naomi's vision has been skewed, and she's lost her focus. We, we oftentimes do the same thing, I think, though, don't we? You ever been there? You often lose sight of God's loyal love, and you lose sight of his providence in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the bitterness. Life gets hard. Circumstances become difficult. People are mean. Your family disappoints you. Your friends abandon you. And life sometimes is full of bitterness. But do we lose sight of God's love in the midst of that? And that's the question that we have here for, for Naomi. John Piper expressed it this way. He says, when we have decided that God is against us, bless you, when we have decided that God is against us, I'm really distracted by all kinds of things today, so it's uh, not, not the sense of that sound. Boy, I'm really digging myself deep. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been distracted by a whole bunch of things, and usually I just phase everything out and just, I just responded, bless you, so. Yeah, so anyway, what are we talking about? <laughs> I'm distracting myself. John Piper, what does John Piper have to say to us? John Piper expresses, when we've decided that God is against us, we usually exaggerate our hopelessness. We become so bitter that we cannot see the rays of light peeping out around the clouds. It was God who broke the famine and opened the way home. And, and so we need to understand that, that, that God often allows bitter circumstances to come into our lives. But let us not become bitter as a result of the work that God is doing in our lives. Let me say that one more time. God oftentimes allows bitter circumstances to come into our lives, but we may, we never, let us not become bitter as a result of the work that God is doing through that. What happens next is, is Orpha leaves. She, she kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, essentially. And and really what she does is what Naomi encouraged her to do. Uh, she is, she's returning to a, a new life, but the text tells us that Ruth clung to her. And so there's this contrast between the two. Now, now we need to be careful that the narrator of the story, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the divine and the human author, they're not, they're not blaming Orpah. They're, they're not, they're, they avoid to do that. If we were to follow Orpah's story, we might find a beautiful story of the very blessings that Naomi uh, wished for her. But what is highlighted is that Orpah did the sensible thing. 
She did the expected thing. But what Ruth does is the extraordinary thing. Ruth does what is unexpected. And so here we come to the end of our second conversation, and we find that though life has become bitter for, for Naomi, we've discovered that God's loyal love is found in his providence, a God who gives. We also see that God's loyal love, his hesed, may be found even in the midst of bitter circumstances. In fact, God is usually working through those bitter circumstances to accomplish his love and his benefits for, for us and for his glory. But thirdly, understand from verses 15 to 18 that, that chesed is born out of circumstances requiring determination. Look at what happens next. In verse 15, it says, And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May Yahweh do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. We mentioned that this is a love story. It's a love story in ways that we sometimes don't expect. But one of the first ways that this is a love story is a love story between a, a daughter and her mother-in-law. Not the normal relationship where you, you think of people expressing chesed. In our culture, we, we talk about our mothers-in-law, and usually that's, you know, oh, yeah, the mother-in-law, right? We, we expect badness there. But in Ruth, we find this beautiful relationship between, between this woman and, and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And in, in this passage, we find Ruth expressing chesed in, a, in an incredible way to the mother of her husband. Uh, again, from verse 15, we notice that bitterness can oftentimes blind us. Uh, we've seen from the earlier passage, for the, next co- the last conversation, that, that Naomi's focus is off. And oftentimes when our focus is off, what happens is we become distracted from the things that really are truly valuable. In spite of Naomi's assumption that, that Moab is Ruth's true home, what Naomi's lost sight of is this incredible opportunity to, to be a witness for the one true God of Israel. And so we come to our third speech, and this time it's Ruth's turn to talk. Ruth has been freed from her obligations. She doesn't have to stay. She's been given the freedom to go home, to go back to her family, to find a new husband. But in turn, what she does is she adopts Naomi. She adopts her. And, and, and understand what she's doing here, this formal adoption, this formal process in which she says, look, I, your family is my family. I'm staying with you. And it's not just a temporary thing. Some of us would think that, okay, maybe Ruth is going to go back to Judah until Naomi just, you know, can't handle it anymore and Naomi's dead. And she'll bury her. And then what does Ruth do? Goes, goes back home. But, but Ruth is clear from the very beginning. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. I'm going to die where you die, and I'm going to be buried where you buried. This isn't just a temporary sojourn into the land of Judah, into the land of Israel. I'm going with you, and I'm staying with you, and I'm going to be there for the rest of my life. A- and that statement is an incredible, earth-shattering statement of Ruth's chesed, her chesed for her, her mother-in-law. 
is an earth-shattering statement of sacrifice and giving. Because what, what does Ruth have for her in the land of Judah? If she stayed in Moab, she'd have a family that she could go to, a family that she could be comforted by, food that would be provided probably for, for her, her rel- from her relatives. But when, when Ruth goes to Judah, you know, understand that, that this is not a time that, did, that, um, that favored women. Ruth was going to be a foreign woman living in a new land. She was going to be a woman uh, in this time that, that would be destitute herself. Um, she, would, um, she would be completely dependent. Women in this time were completely dependent upon the, the men in their lives, and the men in their families. In an agricultural community where the men were the ones that worked out in the fields, uh, they would bring food home to their families. But Ruth would have no ability to provide for herself without a father, without a husband to provide and protect a woman in that culture essentially had two alternatives. She had a life of poverty ahead of her or a life of selling herself. That's, that's the world that they lived in. In a time, we know was the time of the judges where everybody did what was right in, the, the eyes, in their own sight. In fact, if you read the book of Judges and see how women are treated throughout the book of Judges, you'll know that this was a, a tumultuous time for Ruth. And so going back to Judah with her mother-in-law was an incredible sacrifice and she was essentially putting herself tying herself to a life a life that was from all that she could see was going to be filled with absolute poverty but ruth shows determination and she stays with naomi she shows chesed ruth showed determination and, and showed that this was a decision for life it wasn't just a temporary move for her and she shows she demonstrated personal faith in the god of israel Notice that last statement that she makes. She says, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I'm going to die where you die. But then she finishes it by saying, may Yahweh do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Essentially, Ruth proclaims her faith in Naomi's God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so here at the end of the third conversation, Naomi, Naomi sees Ruth's determination and they continue on. And that brings us to the last converse of our chapter, verses 19 through 22. Read with me. So we're told the two of them went, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me uh, Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me sweet one when Yahweh has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So that brings us to the fourth speech. This time it's a speech between Naomi and the women of Bethlehem. Uh, we're told that when she arrives, um, the whole town stirred. Uh, imagine a town smaller than DeWitt. M- DeWitt would probably be a metropolis compared to Bethlehem in those days. And so everybody knows everybody. Uh, everybody's family. You have relatives that are your second, third, fourth cousins. Uh, most people have, are related to other people in the town. Um, you have friends, you have family. Everybody knows everybody's name. And how long has Naomi been gone? Ten years. 
So imagine the reunion in a town where people don't generally leave and, and spread out like we do and, and, and take vacations and drive 2,000 miles or fly across the world. In a world where most of your life was spent in Bethlehem and somebody leaves and, and, and they come back after 10 years, this is the talk of the town. This is front page news. Naomi's back. And we're told that the, the town was a buzz. The town stirred. Everybody's talking. But, but then Naomi returns and they see Naomi and, and that's when the questions start coming, right? Is this Naomi? What's happened? She's gotten older. And it's been a tough 10 years. They're years of grief, and they probably showed on Naomi's face. It, it's interesting. Um, Naomi speaks to the women, and, and Hebrew scholars and Hebrew students especially have a really hard time with this verse. I, I remember the first time I translated this verse for a Hebrew class, I had no idea what to do with Naomi's speech. It, it didn't make any sense. The grammar was all messed up. Um, the, the words were right, but all the suffixes that go on the end of words that tell you how they're talking and who they're talking to, it, it was all jumbled up. And I was like, is it, what in the world is Naomi saying here? And scholars and students have a hard time translating this verse because the endings of these words don't seem to fit. And so that's led a lot of scholars to say, well, yeah, well, see, you know, God made a mistake. Or the writer of Ruth made a mistake. Or, or, or maybe there's something else happening. So they come up with all these stories. But I think what's happening here is, is Naomi's picked up an accent. The endings that she puts on all, on all of her words are Moabite suffixes. A and I think that the narrator is showing us that. It's kind of like when we go down to Texas for a few weeks uh, anytime, go see Angie's sister, spend time with our friends down there, and we come back, and what do you notice? Howdy, y'all. How y'all doing? All y'all. Um, you know, there's, there's little twang that, that we pick up. Um, not that we actually really had a lot of twang there, but, but we do pick up a couple words. There's a little bit of y'all in there when we come home. And, and, Naomi's, and, and Naomi's been gone for 10 years. And I think what's happening here in the text is, is she speaks to the people, and she's actually speaking in a Moabite accent is why people have a hard time translating this verse. And so she's different. Something's happened. She's aged. She's kind of got a little bit of Moabite dust on her still. She's got years of grief and most notably she has no husbands she has no sons but she is accompanied by a young moabitess and that would have been interesting naomi responds and she says please don't call me pleasant what, what's naomi mean my, my pleasant one my sweet one don't don't call me pleasant but call me bitter call me mara you see, Naomi recognizes, it's interesting as you look through this passage, you know, what are some of the good things that she does recognize? She recognizes God's sovereignty. She, she recognizes his providence. She recognizes that God is in complete control of all things. Her theology in that matter is, it's great. She calls him the Almighty. Should I? She gets it. God is in control. God is, is providential. But... Though she understands God's providence and sovereignty and her theology in that matter is correct, what she doesn't recognize and what she's struggling with is God's justice. And she's made this, as this assumption, kind of the same assumption that Job's friends were assuming, that because something bad has happened to me, that this must be something God has done because I've done something wrong or because for one reason or another. 
She recognizes God's justice, but she assumes that God has judged her for some sin, though she doesn't recognize what it is. She believes in God's justice, but she does not see all that God is doing in the midst of the suffering that she's experiencing. I've talked with a lot of people over the years that um, have gone through lots of bitterness. And and there's typically one of two ways that you can go. When when life becomes bitter and you experience trials, you experience tribulation, you can can focus on the Lord and say, you know, I'm going to trust him through this. I have a loving kindness, a God full of loving kindness, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him no matter what, and I'm going to trust him to provide what's best for his glory and for my good. And, and whatever happens, he's my God. And then you can go the other way, where you still you may recognize the same God, or you may turn against him. Um, but even recognizing God, you can become bitter. Bitter towards others. Bitter towards him. And I've had a lot of conversations with people, and oftentimes, you know, the, the way it's interesting, I, I've heard this phrase many times, a, a person that's going through much of bitterness in their life and, and has a problem with judging others and, and not trusting that God has their best interests in mind in the midst of his justice, oftentimes I, I, I hear a person say, you know, I'm, I'm just a person who, um, who has a, a, an enhanced sense of justice an interesting one isn't it i i I have a particularly keen awareness of god's justice in life and and usually the way that's translated is pointing at other people's sins pointing at other people's problems and life has become so bitter for me that what i'm going to do is spread that bitterness to others and how i complain against them naomi understands god's providence but she's struggling in understanding God's justice and what he is doing in the midst of her trials. I also want us to see, though, that Naomi's crying out in her humanness. Uh, while she's struggling, I, I don't want us to miss the fact that, that here's a woman who has been through an incredible ordeal. And she's crying out in her humanness. She's not crying out in a perfect way. She has some lessons to learn, and, and God is going to teach her those lessons by the end of the book of Ruth, as she learns about God's chesed. But with Job, with Jeremiah, with the psalmist, her soul is crying out in distress. And and here at the end of the passage, the narrator re-emphasizes one thing. He he told us earlier on, Naomi returned to Israel, right? And again, in verse 22, he says that Naomi returned. She came back. uh, She returned from the country of Moab. But there's a slight shift from our main character. At the beginning of the book, we thought it was Elimelech, but he dies in verse 3. And so we've been focusing on Naomi, and she's been the central character in our story. But now there's this slight shift as the narrator turns his attention to that woman that's standing behind Naomi, Ruth. He shifts slightly to to Ruth, and and there's a question that's there. In, is it possible? And you know the story, so you know the answer to this as well, probably. But is it possible that this Moabitess could be the way that God provides for this widow woman. It's the beginning of harvest. They're back in the house of bread. And we're going to see that God cares about this poor widow woman. He intends to provide for her as well as he provided for Israel in verse 6. But could Ruth be the source by which God will demonstrate his chesed to Naomi? need to understand that God's loving kindness 
comes to us and is demonstrated oftentimes from unexpected places. That's the end of chapter 1. If you want to hear the next chapter, you're going to have to come back after the commercial break. We'll see you next week. But I, I, I don't want to leave you without a few things by way of application. We need to remember that, that our God reigns as sovereign. That, that's going to be a prominent theme throughout the book of Ruth. We, we serve a sovereign God, a, a God who is, his providence works in ways that, that we don't always see. His providence works in ways that we don't always understand. And his purposes are good. His purposes for your life. His purposes for your trials. His purposes for the, the tragedies that make life sometimes seem bitter. His purposes in the midst of all of that are good. We also need to understand that his hesed, his loving kindness, his love, it comes from unexpected places. And I, want you to, I don't want you to leave here without understanding that sometimes that unexpected place is you. There is somebody that God has put into your life that needs God's chesed. And he is longing to, to show that chesed to this person. A- and you are the person that, that it comes through. Chesed is the unconditional giving of oneself for another without reservation or the thought of getting something in return. Is it that child in your life? That lives in your home. Just, you know, a little harder than some of his brothers and sisters. Is it that spouse that maybe isn't being as loving as they're supposed to be? They need your chesed. Is it that person that walks in the doors of the church and you've never seen them before? And God has put you in their path to show loving kindness, to show chesed in a way that that they wouldn't have expected, that you wouldn't have expected? Is it that person that returns, that's been sitting across the aisle from you for several years, that, you know, you just don't see eye to eye, you do things different? Uh, maybe, maybe there's a struggle outside in the community, some, one of your neighbors. But understand that God has put people in your life that need his chesed, his loving kindness, and it may be you that brings that unconditional love to them. We serve a good God, don't we? A God full of love and kindness, loyal love, chesed, agape, all the different words that you want to use for, for love. And, and I know that we live in a, a society that talks about, God, about love, and, and usually when we talk about love, it's something completely different, isn't it? When we talk about, our culture talks about love being love, and, and usually in our culture, love is, is sexualized. Uh, usually love is, is something that's, that's just a physical relationship. Or, or at the, oftentimes at the most, love is just a feeling. Love is how I feel about another person. And, and, and I want you to understand that in a culture where, where love is expressed in how I feel, and, and if I don't feel that way anymore, then we've just lost that love. So many pe- families in America, America is prone to divorce because so many people have confused a feeling with, with, with chesed, with loving kindness. When the feeling fades away, when the person is not as lovely as we, we thought they were when we married, when that person just isn't as kind, the feelings aren't always there, but love 
isn't just something that we feel. Love isn't just something that's a relationship physically. Love is much further beyond that. Is the unconditional giving of oneself, even when the other person is unloving or unlovely. An unconditional giving of ourselves without thought of return, getting something back. Let's go to our God and thank him for being this wonderful God of loyal love. Father in heaven, we do come before you. We thank you for being a marvelous, amazing God who has demonstrated your love in, in ways that, that we've only begin to, begun to grasp. But, but mostly, more than any other way, you've demonstrated your love in this, that you gave your son to us while we were still sinners. While we were still separated from you, at war with you, you gave your beloved son who died in our place. And you have demonstrated, and he has demonstrated, chesed to us in, in giving us life, giving us a substitute who paid for the penalty for our sins. And so, Father, we come to you. We ask that you would teach us about your loyal love. We pray that you would teach us of what unconditional love means and, and how it is expressed. And, and, and Father, I pray that you would show to us today the people in our lives that, that need to see your love by which we might be the, uh, the conduit in which you express it. Glorify yourselves in us, we pray. Help us to understand the book of Ruth. And I pray that as we see this throughout, might we have a greater picture of how we might love one another. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.